exciting thing when, when you see children in, in a church service. And, and I appreciate those that, are, that choose to stay and, um, and learn. I was given the other day uh, a blessing, and I don't know which student left it behind, so I can't commend them or, or say anything to that, but um, one of them took notes. Um, that's always encouraging. Um, I, I don't know, did I... I can't hear myself all of a sudden. Am I off or is it good? All right, good. You can hear me. That works. If I don't hear me, that's fine. But um, anyway, uh, someone took notes and they even drew a picture on the back. It shows me. It has an arrow pointing to me and the TV. So I wouldn't be confused which was which. It was great. Um, <laughs> you know, it's encouraging to see our young people desiring to learn and whoever this was we were going through Philippians at this time there was something they didn't want to forget that God is with me that's a good thing to remember isn't it they they had uh, their favorite song arms open wide so that was fun uh, who's giving the message? A uh, pastor. Okay, that's good. But there was something they didn't understand. And they wrote it down, and it was the word genuine. I, I appreciate it when there's something that I say up here that someone doesn't understand, and they actually care to look into that. I hope this, this young person, whoever it was, was able to to go to their parents or someone else and ask what genuine meant. If it was you and you didn't find out, genuine is something or someone who is real, who is authentic, honest. That's genuine. They're like, now you said other words I don't understand, but that's okay, you can ask me afterwards. But I appreciate that our young people as they listen to, to God's word, as they read it, are genuinely interested in what God's word has to say. I was in second grade. I was about eight years old. And it was during this time that I met a genuine man of God. I wish... And I always hope when I'm preaching that somehow he'll come across this, this sermon and go, that's me. Um, I only knew him as Sergeant Parks. That's how we addressed him as second grade boys. He inherited this, this classroom of boys, wild and excited, full of energy and adventure, right? What better group to give to a sergeant in the army? And that man instilled within myself and those other young boys a respect for God's Word. He taught us to care for God's Word. I remember one time in class, we set the Bible on the floor. Oh, my word. You want to get a sergeant upset, you do that, I guess. I don't know. 
when I was in second grade, he was in the army, Fort Bliss there in El Paso, Texas, teaching second grade boys. And, and some may consider, why, why even invest in second graders? They really don't truly understand God's word, do they? Well, he, he didn't hear that argument. He expected us to have a passion for this book. He expected us as second grade boys to understand what God's word was telling us. And we better live by it. He had the audacity to think that we could learn something from the Bible. I, I bring that up. And I bring up those notes from a young person in our audience because I believe that you are never too young to learn from God's Word. Church, that's why this church invests in our young people. Because in second grade, he started a spark in my heart that lit into a flame of passion for God's Word. Today marks the beginning of an 18-month study that we will be going through as we embark on going through the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, book by book. If you're sitting there thinking, he is crazy, I agree. I shared that with some of my pastor friends, and they agreed. That's crazy. That is insane. Yet, I feel it is necessary for us as a church, as individuals, to have a firm grasp on what is God's Word. And I think we need to understand it and we can understand it. That's right, I have the audacity to think that you can actually understand God's Word because God gave it to mankind, not just to pastors, not just to theologians, but He gave it to mankind. And, and I, I believe that there is a lack of full appreciation for, for His Word. I was given a very vivid example this morning as I woke up very early, went into the bathroom, turned on nothing. Our neighborhood is out of water. No shower for me. I apologize if I stink, okay? I didn't get to shave and all that. Something that I had grown very accustomed to Morning after morning, I will wake up, I will have a shower, and not even think about what a blessing it is to turn that water on. To be able to go to the sink and brush my teeth. To go and get a glass of water by just turning the faucet. I think a greater travesty is that we have 
come to this book, the Bible, we have grown complacent. We will put it under our arm as we go to church. Maybe occasionally we will open it up and read a token verse and, and say a prayer. But quite often in the homes it will sit on the edge of a, of a coffee table or, or a nightstand and it will collect dust. We have grown to a place where we lack the appreciation and respect for this book, God's Word, the Bible. And I think it's dangerous. I appreciate what the psalmist said in Psalm 119. He says this, The sum of your word is truth. And every one, every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. The sum of your word is truth. Church, do you understand what we get to hold in our hands? Well, we have the opportunity to know and understand. And it's everlasting. I hope that through this study, we find a new appreciation for God's Word. I know I already have. This is a fascinating book. Let me just share some things about God's Word. Okay, first of all, I, don't, I didn't know this till I started looking into it. Did you know that it is the most sold and widely distributed book in all history? And there's guys that try to come up with numbers of how many times and copies and all of that. It's, you can't. But they do know that at least 168,000 copies are sold or given away daily in the U.S. Yeah, amen, that's awesome, but... What do we do with it? We have that many copies in the United States alone, given out or sold. What are we doing with it? I also found it fascinating, though, even though there's that many being sold and, and, and given away. I mean, it's also the number one stolen book in the world. <laughs> even though there's a commandment in there that says, Thou shalt not steal. Okay? So if you need a Bible today and you're looking at that one in front of the chair in front of you there, um, don't feel like you need to steal it, okay? If you need a Bible, we will give you one. We'll be one of those 168,000, okay? Um, don't, don't steal it. We want to give God's Word away. But as you go through God's Word, there is a consistent message. There's a consistent message as we go through it. And believe it or not, this book was written over the period of 1,500 years. I have played telephone with kids and friends and, and colleagues. And guess what? We can't keep a message straight for two minutes. But over 1,500 years, the message remained consistent as God's Word was written. Over 40 different authors 
were used by God to give us our scriptures. These men were, were farmers and shepherds. Not ones that you may have thought of for writing a theological book like a Bible, would you? Some of them were kings. Others were laymen. Some were politicians. It would be great to have a politician that could be qualified to write the scripture, wouldn't it? Some were soldiers. Some were fishermen. <clears throat> Tax collectors. Some were slaves. And God used those 40 individuals or over 40 men to write his word. It's written in three different languages originally. Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. On three different continents. Yet it has one consistent message throughout there is no other book like it today it is translated in complete over 1200 different languages over 3000 different languages in part and I appreciate so much those who have the skill set and ability to translate God's word into the language of the people so that the truth of Jesus Christ can be made known. Christ himself would declare in Luke chapter 16, but it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. Look at verse, verse 23. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Things in this life are fleeting, but God's word is eternal. It holds truth. And God has given us this. There's 66 books. That's right, we're going to go through all 66 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. And they bring us the very words of God. And that's why a sergeant had the audacity to teach second graders to respect this book. Because it was not just a mere book that you put on the ground. It's the Word of God. Do you appreciate what you have the opportunity to hold? When you read the words... Do you read them as the oracles of God able to impact your life and mine? Or is it just another checklist that you do as you read token words? 
Is Sunday morning an opportunity to come and, and hear an individual come and tell you about these words? Or do the words hold power in your life? Second Timothy sums this up well. When Paul writes to this young man in ministry and he says, all scripture is inspired by God. The word inspired is God breathed. All of it. profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God's Word. Very words of God from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God and the very last word of Revelation, Amen! May it be, it is as it is. The word of God. I am excited to take us through this. And, and here's the thing about the Bible. So many get caught up in some of this. The Bible is full of history and science information. And there are those that will come to it and look into that and go, wow! And they'll dive into those things. But guess what? God's Word is not a history book. Though it is full of history from the beginning of man to the end of time. It is not a science book. But science is continually going, oh, God's Word is right. I mean, it's fascinating. As you read through Isaiah, do you realize that we discover that the world is round? And for the longest time, they're like, no, it's flat. And then all of a sudden, they go, it is round. What do you know? Huh, I guess the Bible was right about that. You read through Job, and you find out that earth hangs in space. Some of us are going, well, of course we know that. Well, they did it for a long time. But it's recorded in Job, which is probably the oldest book in the Bible. You read through Amos and Ecclesiastes, and you, you discover the hydrolo hydrologic cycle. The way the waters circulate throughout the world. And Amos and Ecclesiastes are talking about that. Job declares, and this blew me away. I didn't even know this till I started reading Job. I'm like, holy cow, air has weight? Did you know that? Yeah. Tell you what, you go down to Florida, it's heavier than here. Oh yeah, it is. Okay, air has weight, but Job declared that. Leviticus, you read Leviticus, and as you go through, you discover that life is found in the blood. When we see these things scientifically, people read these words and they're amazed. They're like, wow, how did the Bible know that? Well, why would you be amazed? I mean, the very one 
who, who breathed these words, God breathed, also spoke the world into existence. Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be. God said, let there. God spoke and it happened. The very words of God created the world you and I see. Now he formed you and I with his hands. But it's the very breath of God that breathed life into you and I. And we wonder, a God who, who created with his words, how his word could be accurate? Of course it is. He made it. We're going to take an amazing journey through the scriptures. As, as we begin, we're going to start in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Penta, meaning five, first five books. And as we go through those books, we will see how God establishes his covenant and promises a redeemer to come. As we move on and we look at the historical books, we will discover and see a God that is striving with mankind for a relationship. God wants a relationship with you and me. And as we go through that, we will see that, and we will look, and as we do, we'll see a scarlet thread throughout the Old Testament as we look for the promised Messiah. And then we will discover a God who is passionate. We'll discover his, his intimacy that he desires as we go through the books of wisdom and poetry. And all oh, the depths of God that we will discover. We'll look at the prophets and truth be told, it'll be a time of reflection. As we look at the depths of mankind's heart. The sin that abounds within the, the heart of man. Yet continually we will see the grace, the mercy, the holiness and righteousness of God Almighty. Demonstrated through the prophets. We'll observe a time of 400 years of silence. Where God is still working, but Scripture's not written. And then we'll embark on the new covenant, the New Testament. With each of the Gospels, we will see a unique perspective of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the extent that He went to for you and I. The life He lived, the death He died, the resurrection. The book of Acts will unfold for us the, the, as Christ builds his church. As we engage through the epistles or the letters. That's all epistle means, by the way, is letters. But as we look at the letters that are sent to the church, 
time and time again, we will see this relationship that God desires you and I to engage in with him. And the relationship that he wants for his church, his people. And then we will come to Revelation. I love the two opening words of that book. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Apocalypse, Jesus Christ. Apocalypse, making fully known, making known. As we look at Revelation, we will see a full picture of our Savior, Jesus Christ. His power, his authority as the lion and the lamb. As we prepare for eternity. And we will see the joy celebrated as Christ comes for his bride. It's quite an adventure. And I look forward to, to taking it. You may wonder, why, why are we doing this? Normally we go through, we pick, pick one book of the Bible, we go verse by verse by verse, and I love doing that. I shared with the, the elders and the deacons how my heart has been burdened as, as I came to this, this preparation of this study. As I looked at different books that we could go through after Philippians. I wanted to do something else. Yet time and time again, God kept bringing me back to just take them through my word. Take them through my word. And I'll be honest, this is scaring me because I have never done something like this. It's going to challenge me. But I believe there's a biblical mandate to know God's word, to understand it, to teach it, to learn it. And I believe it's scriptural. John 1.1. I love John 1.1. It's such a beautiful declaration of who God is. But it says, in the beginning was the word do you realize that you and I have a God who wants to communicate so much so that as he defines himself he defines himself as the word the logos the communicator one who reveals himself in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the Word was God. What an amazing God who would choose to communicate to you and I. You jump down to verse 14, and it's a beautiful phrase, and it says, and the Word became flesh. Dwelt among us. And we'll look at that as we look in the, the Gospels of Jesus Christ coming. But we have a God who communicates to us, and I think we should look at his communication. 
I think we have an obligation to know his word. Deuteronomy. I have preached on this on Father's Day, Mother's Day, and any other day I can because I believe this passage is vital. As God would, would communicate with mankind, as he would give him the, the, the scriptures, the Pentateuch, out of it comes the law, and he says this to his chosen people. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all <coughs> his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life. He's not leaving much out, is he? All. To who? Your son, your grandson. This is supposed to be a legacy going on and on and on. I lost my place, sorry. Oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen to this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might takes effort, takes work. These words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk. Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down. And when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The words of God. Do you think they're important? We should. Psalm 119, I love this passage. Look, how can a young man keep his way pure? This is one of my favorite verses to, to put in graduation cards. How? The answer, by keeping it according to your word. How do we do what God wants? His word. It says, with all my heart I have sought you. Oh, that we could say the same as the psalmist. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. I appreciate so much our WANA program. 
where we begin and teach our young people to treasure God's Word in their hearts. Adults, it would be good for us to do the same. God's Word. Second Peter. Peter would declare to the church that the words in this book aren't just a story. They're not just a fable cleverly written to intrigue millions of people, make it the number one bestseller. It's not why that was written. Peter declares, For we did not cleverly devise tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They saw Jesus risen. Look at verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Look at the next one. But know this first of all, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. We don't just come here and make things up. Look at the next verse. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. Man wouldn't write this. It goes contrary to man's idea, man's will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Those 40 men who penned the words of God, some of them were not popular. But what we have are the oracles of God Almighty. If those are God's words, if you and I hold them, possess them, then we have an obligation to study them, to read them, to understand them. So I want to present a challenge, church. As we embark on this, this journey, I want to challenge you this morning. First of all, I want to challenge you to take your Bible. Read it. Start there. I am amazed how many Christians I come and ask, do you believe this book? And they're like, absolutely. I say, have you read it? Not yet. Great. Great. I'm glad you believe it, but... Really? Read it. Learn what it says. I'd encourage you through the next 18 months, I'm not even saying a year, the next 18 months, let's read through the scriptures cover to cover. I'm going to commit to you as I go through this 
And, and I kind of was like, oh boy. You know, I, I told you I was sharing this with other pastor friends of mine, and they're like, you know, I never preach anything that I haven't read that week. Psalms is going to be a doozy. I'm just going to tell you right now, Psalms is going to be a doozy, all right? But I'm going to do everything within my power to read every book that I preach to you on Sunday that week. I can't tell you how many times I've read through God's Word. It is a treasure trove. It is a blessing. But I will read it with you. I realized several things, uh, two things actually, as I was preparing this. First of all, as we go through, I don't want to make this academic in nature. It would be so easy to come to each book of the Bible and make it academic. This is this, this is that, this is who wrote it, da, da, da. And there will be things we learn, we should learn. But our study will not be academic. This study needs to be relational. Because you and I have a God who desires that relation. It'll be applicable. And it will challenge our hearts. It's already challenging mine. This is a study through the scriptures. As we look at the consistency and the flow, book by book. And as we look over God's word, I want us to discover several things each week. Who God is. We're going to look and discover God in a greater way in each of those books. What God wants from us. There is something to learn that He wants from your life and mine. What is it that God wants from you and I as we go through this? Here's the encouraging part. How God wants to help us do it. God never says, here's what you ought to do. Now you're on your own. We're going to discover a God who is there. We're going to look and consider why God had to send his son. We're going to look at each book and see where and how it fits in to the scriptures as a whole. I think that's important. And then the application. What does it mean for me today? Not to me. What does it mean to me? No, it means something to God. We have to figure that out. But how does it apply to my life? And we're going to look at that each week. As we embark on this study through the scriptures. I was in second grade, eight years old, when I was challenged 
to have a respect for God's word. I see some young folks out there today. That's encouraging. I'd love to see some of the notes. I see some not so young. This study will have something for each of us. There are those here who are well studied in the scriptures. I get that. Yet there's also those of us who are coming to God's word as novices going, I'm one of those that have never read it. And this study will have something for each of us. God's word should be known. God's word can be known. And I look forward to what this blessed book, the Word of God, has for your life and mine. I'm excited. I'm scared to death, but I'm excited to go through this study. And I'm excited to go through it with you. I want to challenge you with one last thing. The next 18 months, there's 66 books. I want you to choose one to really go through and study and see what God has for you to learn about Him, about yourself, and how He sees you. Let's pray. God, you are a communicating God. And you have so graciously communicated your love, your passion, your holiness through your word. God, I pray that we would discover you in a greater way. And in so doing, God, that we would desire to make you known to the world around us. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that there would be an excitement, a renewed excitement for your word as we embark on this adventure. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that we currently live in a land where to possess it is still legal. To read it, to declare it, is still free. I pray that your people would take full advantage of that. And we would discover you in a greater way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.